she manages a bar in Gulf Shores, Alabama. And one of her regulars was like, he like owns a beach house down there. And he was like, yeah, nobody's staying in it this weekend. So if you want to like have a party there. I want a honk at Tom Christmas. Oh, honk at Tom cheer. And honk at Tom music. Honk and then I talk right here. I need a honk at Tom beauty. Serving honk and talking beer. I want a honk-a-tonk Christmas and a honk-a-tonk New Year. Hell yes, welcome back to The Popular Show. It's me, James A. Smith, David Slavik, is in the house, and we're really excited to be hosting a bit of a reunion of uh, one of our favourite podcasts, the the now defunct, cancelled, over Twig Revolution, but it's not over. <laughs> it's back, we've got... <laughs> Sam and Gian, how are you, boys? Good, <laughs> good, good. Thanks. Yeah, the the, the permanent Twink Revolution. Yeah. It's our renting our Trotskyist yeah. phase or something. A long, <laughs> a long revolution. Um, this is long Twink Revolution, and we have got River Page, who is um, a character in the extended Twink Rev universe, uh, part of the franchise. Uh, you, you wrote for um, the blog that these guys had attached to uh, the podcast. Um, it's all kind of going off for you, River. You've got this great piece in American Affairs that we're going to discuss later. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, Sam also uh, helps edit my Substack now. So if there's any spelling error errors or anything like that, you can come for him. And where can we find of... that Substack? <laughs> um, it's riverpage.substack.com. Thank you so much. This yeah. is kind of like the, uh, the Beatles uh, get back documentary you guys mm-hmm. haven't seen each other you haven't been working together you don't have any takes but we've got you here you've got two hours and you've got to produce a podcast yeah. <laughs> we've, no, we've I, also I got 57 that... hours of content in the vault only i saw them in the flesh like no less than <laughs> five days <laughs> they came down for my wedding which was very nice that's great yeah well congratulations, congratulations on that yeah. thank that's you beautiful. thank you this is the podcast that loves love so yeah, we're happy about that. Wonderful. So I, I'm reporting from an undisclosed location. I want to talk a little bit about your, about your project. I want to talk about a little bit what happened with the project. And if you, you don't want to, you don't have to. But I think it's kind of important for our listeners to understand uh, that when you're brave, it's it's not always easy. Uh, but uh, we're appreciating your being here. Thanks. Um, yeah, we ended the podcast, which made us no longer grifters because you don't end something that's doing well, I guess. Um, but we ended it kind of as we moved out of California, our hatred for the world kind of tempered off and here COVID is no longer a reality. So we have social lives again. So we kind of felt our time had come and we left the online world minus our Twitter accounts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, we, we sort of started the podcast pre-COVID and then like pandemic, the pandemic was weird for podcasts. It's particularly weird for us because we were just sort of locked in a small apartment in San Francisco for yeah, a year and a half. Um, I think at some point we also like, there's a certain sort of like cyclic discourse machine, right? That's like self-perpetuating. I think at some point we kind of got sick of the sound of our own voices. It's like we are literally talking about the same things because it's us. Um, and so it felt like good to sort of do the, the Jerry Seinfeld and just go out on a high, you know, we sort of like, we had, we had built the largest audience we'd sort of ever had. It was, um, people were listening, people seemed to respond well to it or absolutely fucking hated it. One or the other, but then it was like, well, cool. It's done. That that was, this was a fun project and it has now concluded. Um, you should have done so, the Seinfeld, yeah, uh, final episode thing where you get everyone who you've ever wronged on the podcast on as a guest in the final episode. <laughs> we, we we chose instead the uh, the Sopranos ending, so we just <laughs> yeah. it just fade to black because um, we we were going to do a final episode and then I think we we balked. The we discourse were... was so bad. You're, I was like, let's just end it. I don't want to <laughs> do a last episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so just a yeah a final beat and then then nothing, just emptiness. Yeah. Well, people are still sending me uh, like grinder screenshots of little gay boys wearing uh, Twink Rev shirts. 
And <laughs> it's like, didn't you used to write here? <laughs> so the legacy lives on on Grinder.com. That was honestly the um, you know, the the end game for us was uh, for people to send us their like sexiest thirst traps in Twink Rev merch, and it worked. <laughs> So honestly, at that point, where, where do you go from there? How could it possibly get <laughs> yeah, any better? Seriously. We've got to get some merch, David. That's where we're going wrong with this thing, I think. Absolutely. Right. Where, where are you guys living now, uh, Sam and John? Yeah, we're, we're in Wisconsin now, which is um, Sam's home state. Not, not mine, but uh, I, I like it a lot. It's a, it's a very different place from, um, from California. Colder, but, but the people are warmer. <laughs> <laughs> I think in California, we avoided talking politics because it was so democratic machine, but not even like um, populist kind of Democrats, just like horrible neoliberal Democrats like Hillary Clinton and Kamala yeah. Harris. While here, like we can talk to people because the state's quite blue, like purple. It's a battleground state. You can talk to like right wingers and left wingers and like agree on like a lot of stuff still, which is like nice. And also no one really, most people don't make their politics like their entire personality here. So yeah. you feel kind of like normal, which is nice. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no there's no points awarded for being the most correct Democrat here or whatever. It's just nobody's impressed by it, I think. So um, I don't think I'm having a lot of conversations about politics in the, in the grocery store, but yeah. <laughs> um, certainly, you know, I mean, people just... Um, like not to, not to romanticize it or whatever, you know, ventriloquize the working class, but it's just a much more working class environment to be in, in terms of um, there's still a large like industrial productive base in Wisconsin. Uh, I, like any, pick up any item in your home in America, it's probably made in Wisconsin. It's like kind of ridiculous. Um, we just play a game where I like open packaging of something. It's like, oh, I bought a pot. Oh, it's, look at that, Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I do think that flows through into the, into the, political environment in the culture which is like okay yeah people people's concerns are ones i recognize uh in san francisco the the concerns were entirely abstract it's about how many masks your neighbor was wearing while you know walking their dog or whatever it's like that that was the main animating political principle right whereas here i don't know yeah i kind of get it people are like they care about their families and their jobs and their security and their health and et cetera, et cetera. So i'm like oh cool that's I, I like those things too i that that animates me as well so a better place to start from. Yeah, um, things are about to sort of rocket in the other direction here in the UK because uh, we, we've just had announced that we're moving back to, you know, it's all uh, firing up again, the COVID machine. We're uh, moving back to working from home uh, where possible. As of Monday, um, there's uh, yeah masking again. Um, and even for the first time in England anyway, vaccine passports. Um, so it was sort of an interesting moment where, um, I mean, the prompt for this, as you, you might have heard, is a kind of ridiculous situation where it's been revealed that this time last year, um, there was a huge party in number 10 Downing Street with Boris Johnson and members of the press and so on. And so the response to them doing that last year is that we have to uh, introduce all these um, COVID measures uh, once again this year. Um, I don't know. We're going to be keeping an eye on that on 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 the show. I, I'm interested to see if um, the kind of left response turns out to be different this time to previous um, times when measures have been brought in. Uh, there seems to be now that that kind of taboo has been broken on vaccine passports in England. There seems to be a little bit more. Um, a little bit more resistance. I, I mean, I bring all this up because you guys on your show, I think, were well ahead of the curve in offering that kind of left critique of uh, COVID measures, basically at a time when, by and large, people on the left just didn't want to hear it. Yeah. Yes, we got we got banned a few times from various platforms. <laughs> oh, right, yeah, on YouTube, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I think we made jokes about... Vegas's COVID measures mm -hmm. and that got us banned. And we talked about peer reviewed studies about mask and efficacy and actually preventing COVID spread. And that got us banned the second time. It's great. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, my, 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 my thoughts on it are exactly the same, I think. Um, but it's funny that it just doesn't intrude as much here anymore. Like I will occasionally yeah. feel slightly aggrieved when I see somebody like 
wearing a, a mask, you know, in a supermarket. I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? We know those don't work. Stop that. <laughs> um, but like, whatever, it kind of just doesn't intrude and vaccine passports is certainly not a thing here. Whatever. But every time I would travel now, it's sort of like, oh, oh yeah, this is still a, still, a, this still looms large in the imagination for many people. Well, I, I live in the South, so we never give a fuck about COVID. Like, it was never a thing. Like, I, I mean, um, I, that, I kind of, like, shut down for a while on Twitter because everybody was just complaining about, like, lockdowns and stuff. And I was like, yeah, I don't know, man. We locked down for, like, two weeks. And then and they were like, never mind. And um, the biggest thing that's going on in Florida is, like, some, like, uh democratic parts of the state um like the schools are trying to require masks for kids and ron DeSantis is like threatening to withhold funding for them or something but i mean honestly yeah screw them withhold their funding they'll change <laughs> it they're where they else are they gonna get the fucking money um yeah. the kids don't need to wear masks like I, I i i am like very like firm on that i think that there's like i mean childhood develop like i mean you have to like imagine like the effect that has on the psyche you can't pe see people's faces and if you're like a five-year-old like you have to see people's faces to like understand human communication on like a very rudimentary level like these kids are going to be like emotionally and socially stunted from this in the I'll north i'll tell you what i have i have trouble uh dealing with it myself i i, I can't get around i, I get confused uh, it, it ages me in the cognitive way, like immediately. Uh, the other thing is that uh, I actually really rely on facial cues and it's very difficult for me to, to you know, kind of read what's going on. Um, and, you know, I have the mentality of a five-year-old, but I'm not five. Yeah. I mean, everyone's already so autistic from the internet. Like we're just going to exacerbate this problem by like not knowing what a smile looks like, you know, yeah. it's insane. It's it's so, fun, so funny that this became the hill that um, sort of uh, everyone is dying on I, from there. Like um, it's clearly just just sort of transference of of their general neurosis that they built up through this whole process of being told that like the air will kill you. And I think a lot of people are afraid. I've been messaged from other big name podcaster people like, oh, I really want to talk about COVID because I also think this is like complete nonsense. But they're afraid of like all the insanity that comes with it like you lose massive amounts of people which is fine on like twitter if you critique it anyways or you could call like a QAnon or like like a conspiratorial person when it's like no like i took the vaccine yeah, and yeah. that insane like <laughs> yeah i remember posting one thing about it it was like around thanksgiving or was it maybe maybe it was christmas last year and they were like well, you're a grandma, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, I just came back from Thanksgiving. My granny's in her living room smoking Misty 120s, okay? That's the longest <laughs> cigarette you can buy. She's 80 years old. She, like, has diabetes, COPD, what, like, bad hip. She's fine. Like, <laughs> my mommy, like, one of my cousins even asked her, she was like, granny, do you want us to wear a mask? She was like, no. <laughs> she was like, I can't smoke through a mask. <laughs> a mask. Why are you going to wear a mask at Thanksgiving? Well, you know, there is that Makes story sense. that tobacco actually helps COVID so or help prevent really? COVID. So, oh, yeah. well, that's she's yeah. protected. My God. <laughs> well, I think I think it might be just because the tar doesn't let the the, back, the virus through. Yeah, that's what I say to myself every time I buy a pack of American spirits. <laughs> You're talking about the school, like thing firing up again in in florida um and uh, this this slightly relates to um to stuff you've been writing about one of the interesting things up in virginia with the uh, the gubernatorial at the, at the start of november was um th that kind of result for the republicans was reported like in some quarters um both on the left and right as down to um, critical race theory in schools. So the left saying, oh, well, you know, this proves that 
uh, people are racist, um, whiteness has not been defeated, and um, uh, th that's that's why they're voting Republican. Triumphant Repu Republicans were saying, you know, this this will teach you to teach uh, critical race theory in schools. But then there was other reportage suggesting that, like that way in which schools have become like a hot political issue has actually had more to do with people's resentment over school closures and masking in schools. So th there's a way in which the, the kind of COVID stuff gets rolled up and um, tied in with other forms of culture war and, 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 and struggle in a way that it can be kind of hard to demarcate what is actually at issue. I, I, I don't know, how's that looking in Florida? Well, I mean, from what I know, I mean, most of my friends are like either younger or gay <laughs> or like my age or gay. So they go, a lot of them don't have kids, but the friends I do have that have kids, I know that like when the schools were shut down, it was just, I mean, it was hell really, because I mean, a lot of people, um, you know, if you don't have like a, like grandma or somebody who can watch, then you have to go pay for daycare and it's hard to find daycare for like a seven-year-old but you can't leave them at home and so you either have to like go on facebook or craigslist or something like try to find a babysitter or you have to try to find a daycare and um i think that the republicans here who control the state um they control the house the senate the governorship all the cabinet positions except for department of agriculture because the chick wanted to legalize weed so people voted for the democrat then but um yeah, the, I mean, Republicans control the state. They saw the writing on the wall. Um, you don't put, fuck with people's kids and you don't fuck with their money. You know, and um, if you don't do that, then the people will give you a pass. And I think that's, you know, the problem that Democrats are going to have is that they fuck with people's kids and they fuck with people's money mm -hmm. through closing down the schools, putting people out of pocket if their kids aren't old enough to stay at home. Um, the online classes, I mean, I did online classes my last two years of high school um, <laughs> because they were like, you're bright, but you seem like you might want to drop out. And I was like, yeah. So they maybe do these online classes and they're a fucking you're joke, a trailblazer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're, they're a joke and nobody, um, you know, nobody's learning anything in those. So, um, you know the, the, the kids even young kids behind. remember you know i i my five-year-old um I had to keep we had to keep him off school for a few days recently and uh and he he's he said like oh i don't want to do the the i don't want to do the homeschooling thing i don't want to do the online learning thing and you know no one's mentioned this since easter when the schools reopened um but he's just like kept it in his mind like as this awful experience of being sat in front of the computer and wanting to like see his friends on there so like there's all kinds of ways in which that shit is like being remembered both by parents and by kids and i don't know that i think the political effect of that could, might be a lot longer than people reckon because yeah you don't you don't you just don't know how it's affected kids actually and you don't know how it's going to keep coming up right and if it's an only child or like a kid whose siblings are like way older or way younger or whatever i mean that's like critical like you know you have to be socialized with people your age otherwise mm -hmm. you're going to be weird and yeah. like maladjusted i mean like no offense to anybody who's grown up this way but i've met a lot of kids who are homeschooled or like people who are homeschooled as children and even well into their 20s most of them are still kind of awkward and weird and it's because they didn't have like the experience of like being forced to interact with all kinds of different people who, you know, were strangers. Um, and like, that's a, that's a big deal that I think is being overlooked, but. Well, also like, I mean, you think about like millennials, how like pivotal, like nine 11 had and like scarring a generation and yeah. all the like for like postponed, like propaganda and indoctrination, like trauma that continued for the next like decade plus. I mean, I remember like Disney Channel, like which is like the big children fan, having like 9-11 propaganda for like their stars. I'm like, if that's like screwed up millennials for so long, like what is it, what is COVID gonna do to 
all of these like children growing up today, like they're going to be super fucked, uh, like horribly <laughs> in more ways than like millennials or old generations can imagine. I mean, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I had I'm children just... during the pandemic and twins and people will say, oh, oh, they're probably not used to seeing people in masks. They said, well, no, they're only used to seeing people in masks. You know, it, uh, <laughs> it's it, it's fairly interesting. And we have a little game that we play where I, I do some very uh, sort of for people who are listening. Uh, I'm making some very exaggerated uh, um, eyebrow gestures. And, you know, that's that's our little game. But it's it's quite strange. But, but but I mean the um, I feel like all this sort of adaptation that that is um, predicted right by those who are most optimistic about these measures, um, as in just one more lockdown, one more booster shot, uh, you know, three more layers of masks or whatever, that'll be the thing that will let us go back to life. It's always couched in these terms of people who have no desire to go back to normal life. The the the, the fear has soaked into their into their bloodstream mm -hmm. of fear, and it's um. So I feel like the actual sort of political content of all of this is hearing somebody's like just absolutely um, their their neurosis just laid absolutely bare in front of you. I mean, there's just just people who are terrified of the world. They have come to believe strangers are dangerous, that other people are are trying to murder them. Uh, um, I don't I don't think it's that. I think it's people don't want to go back to fucking work. I think that people like working from home. Yeah, they work they work from home. And I mean, there are a lot of companies that have just been like, yeah, we're not, we're staying remote forever. We're not going back or whatever. Because why would they? Like if they've proven that they can make it happen with people working from home, why would they why would you pay for office space, especially in a place like fucking San Francisco? Where the Well, but I think it's the other half. I, I think I think it's exactly that, right? It's it's an it's a an excuse for everyone to do essentially a kind of soft austerity on their employees or you know, I don't know if you've been on a plane recently. Um, drink service is, you know, pretty much gone now. So mm. cool. That was probably expensive, right? Mm. Um, you know, they're saving on the price of a cup of tea on the plane or something. But um, there's that half. And then the political agenda is being given air cover by the people who are just terrified of the world now. And then I think, yes, there's a, probably a rather complacent population who are like, well, you know what? This works for me. Um, yeah, and, and it's I don't also need a back office, and fair enough. It's a built-in excuse for not, for any commitment that you might have, you know, like not wanting to, because there are a lot of people, especially in like, I've come to realize as more of like, I've gotten into this kind of world, like a lot of people in the professional class do seem to be kind of asocial, like they don't really um, necessarily like want to be around people or don't want to be around particular types of people. And so it's like, yeah, if you can use COVID as an excuse not to, you know, have to fly back to Iowa to see your family, they're going to take it. Yeah. Um, there's that, there's that antisocial thing. There's also the fact that um, a lot of those professional class people were pretty exhausted at the start of 2020 and were definitely relieved to like suddenly not have to do their commutes or or even like to be taken out of work uh altogether and I, I think that that's there's probably a kind of like sort of loop effect with that because then they went back to work when things opened up again but I mean in in my workplace we went back to in, in British universities we went back to teaching in person but the workload had gone up in the meantime and so i feel like you know people are just yet more exhausted they're doing yet more and you know there probably are people who are kind of welcoming the prospect of uh, of another lockdown um i mean i'm, I'm trying to stay po positive really because I, I think that like there's got to be a jumping on point there's got to be a point where you can say to people okay you 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 were behind all the measures thus far but is this is this the one where you where you're going to sort of start changing your mind how many boosters is enough um how many you you know, the cenobites um you know yeah. the razor the the guy with all the what's it called call pinhead <laughs> i think that's the that's the target um, yeah. level well i think yeah. there is a positive yeah. twist in that i think more and more of the political population as well as the non-political population are kind of losing their like m mythical views of like some institutions that we just 
never questioned like academia or the medical infrastructure or even like um, school boards or like um, corporate like corporate run unions, mm-hmm. which are kind of like now kind of being revealed as like the enemies they always were, but we just never thought of it because everyone was just like so desperate to maintain the little they got after like 70s austerity for like Thatcher and like Reagan and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm basically at the point now where if I see somebody like sharing on social media, some sort of catastrophizing thing or anything to do with numbers rising, like I almost want them to like say what they want to happen as a result. Like I feel like people need to show their cards. Okay. Well, so what are you saying? You, you want a lockdown. If, 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 if you, you want vaccine passports, like I, I feel like we're at a point where you have to like admit what measures you're actually supporting when you're kind of, you know, uh, panicking in that way. That that would be helpful, except I, I feel like, at least in the US context, um, the the people to whom the sort of the Democratic Party is in, in um, feels accountable to uh, are are the ones who, for reasons, you know, cynical or psychiatric are, are so invested in the um, the catastrophizing narratives. I mean, they they're the ones calling the shots. I, I, so I don't know exactly what situation is in the, in the UK in terms of like, um, there, there's always some group, right, that are the ones who say, look, we are the most aggrieved and the loudest and we are the squeakiest yeah. wheel. Um, and so those people are, will very flatly come out once they say they want, you know, a death penalty for getting COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I mean, the, you know, th- those takes are not actually outside. Of, I'm not making that up, right? I mean, there are people who are like, Look, we just need to, you know, the the Australian barbed wire quarantine camps are not enough. What about what about a firing squad? Um, <laughs> Originally, is the is well, I don't know. There's the sort of independent sage kind of fandom who are maybe the people who are most comparable to that Democratic Party um, hypochondriac kind of uh, uh, kind of thing. But then there's also the post Corbyn radical left who on paper are, are actually the the most kind of hard line in the measures they want except it's a kind of you know it's the zizek um diet coke coffee without caffeine kind of thing they want zero covid without zero covid they, they want zero covid without any of the necessary authoritarian measures that would have to um be, be uh yeah you're simultaneously the most hard line but then the most kind of appalled when the actual consequences of like pursuing that kind of policy are laid bare. Well, I, I um, as you know, I'm, you know, I'm I'm from New Zealand, which was probably the held up as a shining example of zero COVID. Um, and even there, I think, well, I mean, they've they've stopped pursuing that policy, and yeah. and yeah. I think sort of, um, you know, mo- most epidemiologists have said zero COVID is not realistic. It will be an, an endemic disease that will will you know evolve with humanity for the rest of for for however long uh, humanity lasts kind of it, it is with us now so be it um but those zero covid true believers essentially in, in new zealand even um were kind of willing to apologize for any incompetence that that came with it um as in if you really wanted zero covid like i'm sorry you could you, you the the actual measures you would have to take are not far off the Twitter weirdos suggesting firing squads for people who test positive yeah. with COVID. You know, um, it, it is barricading doors, and you can the, the the collateral death toll is going to be very high, higher than already was in the U.S. on you know overdoses and deaths of despair and suicides and things like that. Like even the the, the modest and tepid measures taken here resulted in that. I mean, the these people are are absolutely monstrous as far as I'm concerned. And their their willingness to be like, look, a disease that doesn't really kill many people under about 70. Um, look, in order to to stop this, we must at all costs kill a lot of other people. Yeah. But it, but COVID has become like um it's become like a rube disease. It's become like a dirty thing like it's like saying that you have aids or like saying that you have like syphilis or something it's become embarrassing for like a certain demographic of person that's why like um you know when someone uh 
who's like very liberal or very public or like whatever, um, if they get COVID, they're like, but he got the COVID vaccine, you know, with like Colin Powell, I remember they were like, he got the COVID vaccine. Like, it was just like, um, you know, saying that, you know, this is other people's fault, right? Um, Because it has become like so politicized and it's become, um, even though I don't think there's any evidence to suggest that like um, Democrat or Republicans get it more than Democrats or something, it's become associated with carelessness. Like, you know, if you get COVID, you know, why didn't you wear a mask? Why didn't you get a COVID vaccine? Why didn't you get a booster? Why didn't you get two boosters? Why didn't you double mask? Why didn't you quarantine? Um, so it, it really is kind of like um, replicating like the same sort of thing that the right wing used to do with like um, with like HIV, like during the AIDS crisis, only um, it's even maybe kind of less um, kind of more insane because, you know, of course, in order to get HIV, you actually do have to like have unprotected sex. But like with COVID, you can just literally walk outside. Yeah. I, don't I think know you're when that transition, transition happens, but we, it went from being the universal disease that anyone can have, and that's the kind of the unifying thing about it, to it being, yeah, as you say, the, this dirty disease. Or if I, as a respectable person, get it, it's you know, it's despite the fact that I was so careful, but you weren't careful, and now I've got it, and I am supremely pissed. I don't right. know when that happened, but there's been a kind of total ideological about term there's no there's no lack there's no imagination where there's a situation where two people were careful were around another person who was careful and they all had nostrils you know and like that's the the kind of thing that is very very funny it's like there's a materialism aspect that you know i think that you know there's a mystification around the material world that we have here and you know that that's being played out with things like meta and and just how we relate to each other we all know each other from online yet we have you know sort of i think genuine uh communication um the the question is it has covid made us less despite the actual material realities of it has it made us less understanding of like our sort of corporeal selves well i think um the the covid play out sort of the really opportunistic moment where kind of most of the imperialist core is kind of all losing its grip within like the war on terror. Like Islam is no longer the great threat it once was, or allegedly was like in the early two thousands, like we lost Afghanistan. We aren't winning Syria, Iraq's turning its back on us. And right at that moment, you see COVID kind of play out as a new option of like a war on like COVID, a war on terror where, now you have a new justification to expand control over the working class who are getting more and more upset about worsening conditions through more and more austerity. I mean, you see like the vaccine passports are also run by corporations and like the state department, you mm-hmm. see like imperialism shifted discourse to, Oh, well, this country's not implementing the proper COVID policies like Lukashenko or Nicaragua or Tanzania when the president dies, who, got replaced by a puppet who followed the proper like world economic forum, like policies. And it's like, you see it kind of replacing it. And most people are kind of all falling for the same trap that the people did back during like the nine 11 era. And it's kind of really sad. <laughs> well, it's even actually the same, um, that, that, uh, that interpersonal strangeness, right. That the denial of the reality that we all have nostrils and lungs or whatever, um, plays out on the international stage too. You you hear exactly, yeah, like, well, it's actually you know Botswana coming up with new variants. They're mm-hmm. just they're they're mm-hmm. clearly not yeah. following the rules. They have morally failed us. Um, and and I guess David, to your point, I mean the 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 strangeness of the or the the interpersonal strangeness strangeness it has created is um one in which a kind of um, a cry of, you know, look, science experts, we we trust them. Uh, you know, the experts tell me that, um, you know, my grandmother is a stranger to me forever now. Um, it is met with a kind of a weird internalized skepticism of that expertise, as in they're telling me it's okay to see granny now because I've had my 13th booster shot. 
and they're like, no, 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 these, these guys don't know what they're talking about unless they are selling me a narrative that is um, more pessimistic than, than the one I imagined, then I just have, they've nothing to offer me. And like, what does that do to interpersonal relations at a basic level? Um, it's, it's like a, it, you know, there any relationship between two individuals is moderated through like Fauci's utterances and whether you believe them or they were sufficiently pessimistic. Um, it's, it's absurd. And they can only see, um, their actions as like righteous, like all of these restrictions and stuff. Like they could never be, um, immoral. And, you know, I remember my mom, uh, talking about somebody that they went to church with who like basic couldn't see her dad who was dying in hospice because they were trying to control COVID. It's like, they're already dying. Yeah. You know? And so, you know, people are dying alone because of pointless restrictions. And and it's really like, um, I mean, the beginning and like ends of life are kind of like, in some ways, like the most important part like those set like the trajectory i think like you know the beginning of your life it's like at that point is like very crucial it's like who you're born to what happens immediately after a lot of that really changes like where you're going to go in life and when you're going out like at the very least you should be able to be around your family yeah but like they would never be able to like internalize you know the people setting these restrictions the um Fauci fandom which if I wasn't on Twitter what I would think was completely astroturf um you know these people like don't see they can't perceive anything that they do as immoral or outright cruel despite the obvious fact that much of it is listen to the birds how they sing listen to the wind how it's blowing it's Christmas time again I wanted to talk a bit about your piece in, in American Affairs, um, and uh, I, I thought it was really excellent. Um, if you could just introduce your piece and talk a little bit about where you're, you know, what you said and, and why it's important. Um, I found it, it centers sort of as an anchor. It uses the recent woke CIA advertisements to, to sort of discuss, you know, the the transition of the CIA from a, sort of a patrician Atlanticist uh, project into something a little different um, and how it's not really changed in a lot of ways, despite all these sort of aesthetic changes. Right. It's still very much the same thing. It's only, it's not that the CIA has really changed. It's that the nature of the elite has changed. Um, um, but the, the piece in American Affairs is called uh, The CIA and the New Dialect of Power. And if I'm being completely honest, I, I kind of used the, um, the CIA, the, the quote-unquote woke uh, CIA ads that came out earlier this year as sort of a vehicle to talk about something which I've wanted to talk about for a long time, um, which is elite language. And if you think about elite language, um, if, if you're an American, uh, you know, you might think of the sort of old school patrician, uh, like mid-Atlantic accent, you know, the fancy way that people used to talk on TV and movies, you know, Catherine Hepburn, Jackie Onassis, the sort of like refined, uh, you know, fake, <laughs> frankly, accent that was, you know, created in boarding schools that meant to kind of, you know, take the most aesthetically pleasing aspects of British and English, uh, American English uh, and, and sort of meld them together. And what we have now um, is, is a bit different because it's not quite an accent. It's, um, it's a vocabulary. And if you, don't, um, if you don't speak in this way, if you don't talk about your identity in highly personalistic terms if you talk about your struggle and your you know as a you know pansexual latinx woman of color um blah 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 I mean, that, that it, sounds like parody but the the actual ads is even more like a is even more like a parody right of, exactly of they're, language they're... I, just, I just i just remind everyone of this like i'm a woman of color i'm a mom 
I am a cisgender millennial who has been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. I am intersectional, but my existence is not a box checking exercise. I used to suffer from imposter syndrome, like the imposter syndrome along like the other things that that is like a right wing like bits, right? That's yeah. a joke. About it really one. is. It well, the, reads the funny thing is, everyone yeah, I know who works in the national security state has imposter syndrome. So it's actually, you know, like, I don't even know if you need to add that. I mean, <laughs> don't you have to be an imposter to be a good spy? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Your job. It, it, an and syndrome just professionalizes imposter. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, no, but it's very funny. And like, you know, if you, you know, didn't go up and like, I, you know, you can just take any paragraph and I think about like how I grew up and I'm like, yeah, nobody, I, I didn't know any of these words until I went to college, you know, like just out of an entire sentence, like besides like proper nouns, <laughs> you know, I didn't know any of these words. And it's like, it, <clears throat> it really is, um, you know, as the sort of uh, mid-Atlantic, like old dialect of power was created and, in, in, you know, these austere boarding schools in new england where all the kids are like you know beating and molesting each other um to the the universities um that's where you learn it now and if you don't speak like that you're basically functionally illiterate in this world you know i saw somebody post the other day it had like um it was a job application i had like 17 different like options for gender and somebody was like if you post if you select cis male or cis female you don't know how this game works <laughs> you know I mean, it's... I mean, we we remember like the tucker carlson sort of response i think this this coincided with the afghanistan withdrawal and and he was saying you know the the taliban won because they uh you know don't, they're not transgender or whatever um you you're seeing all the time in like the spectator um articles complaining about how private like boarding schools private schools in britain are teaching critical race theory and teaching um like robin d'angelo style like racial struggle sessions and the the right the that kind of um uh, analysis of that on the right is this is a kind of feminization this is a sort of you know becoming woke and politically correct of of our, of our great institutions but like the re the reply would have to be like that is exactly what you're paying for if you're sending your kids to that kind of school you're paying for them to be getting this training in precisely yeah what you call the the new dialect of power it's it's this isn't a sort of transgressive creep of the you know left-wing sort of uh, uh views into these institutions it, it it's a new kind of forbidding language and discourse which yeah you never know when it's a joke and when it's not as we saw in that in in the, in the adverts and if you laugh and it's not a joke then you've put your foot in it and you're not part of the club um i, I mean I, i'm reminded like of um of something that happened last year at the height of black lives matter um priyam vada gopal who um she's like a a cambridge professor historian of of empire verso books author she she tweeted white lives don't matter as white lives and like the response was all of this like you know what the fuck you talk all this kind of often like racist replies and, and attacks and so on and it was reported in the daily mail and she ended up suing them and this was sort of treated as something like to be celebrated on the left yeah she said something true and the racists kind of got their uh, asses handed to them but like it, it couldn't be clearer there that to a normal person she was sort of talking in like riddles uh, and, and and it's almost like the statement was designed to make people think oh what she say you know it, it was it was designed to kind of precisely get the reaction and to make people expose themselves as being outside of this kind of new riddling language um and i i think you're totally right that it's a kind of form of distinction making mm -hmm. But right. What do you think? I mean, something like that, you'd ask what was the what was the intent or the purpose behind yeah. that? Um and I guess we're we're here with a champion internet provocateur, River Page, who uh <laughs> often often uh you know knows knows how to do a, a, a tweet that has exactly desi the desired effect. But like 
that um that kind of insider baseball of um uh signaling or put it this way to invoke even the concept of sort of whiteness as a construct right it acknowledges that you know it exists um and the whole game's to not ever explain the joke to anybody else right and i <laughs> It is like very, it's very silly uh, to think about because you have whiteness as a concept. You really don't, perhaps maybe they do now. I mean, I wound up going to college, a third rate school, but I did go. Um, But I wonder, like, do people, young people now who don't go to college, do they know what whiteness means? Like, do they know what people are mean when they say that? It's vulgarized into into racial identity. It's silly, but what no no it's they they don't it's it's it has been vulgarized um in the exact same way that uh what we would consider an incredibly sort of um quaint now form of pretty ugly racism in terms mm. of the way people thought about black people say um or or nastier words than that right um in terms of like it, total essentializing um, you know, oh, like you you have black skin, therefore I know things about your your mind and your brain and your your you know you're biologically different, et cetera, et cetera. That's that's how people understand the concept of whiteness now. It's not it's not a it's not a charming academic concept of uh, sort of um you know sort of uh, the the casuistry of of social construction. It's it's literally just race essentialism turned on its head. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's going back to and like the whole um, the white guilt thing has become very um, well, of course, it's very it's difficult to say whether or not it's performative, because like people convince themselves that they believe all kinds of bullshit. Um, But, you know, when you see like white people and Black Lives Matter protests literally whipping themselves on the streets and black people just like appalled and they're like, what the fuck are you doing? Um, which is a real thing that happened. Um, somebody can find the video on that, but um, it, it, it really is, um, it becomes um, it takes on like a weird um theatrical dimension that um it's just unlike anything that i've ever really seen it's hard to imagine like anybody being able to relate to it who hadn't been socialized in this way and like you know didn't speak the new dialect of power like there's nobody who um doesn't know what the word cisgender means who's whipping themselves on the street because they're white you know, it's all interconnected, like all the race shit, all the gender shit, um, all of it um, has just become this like vector for elite reproduction. And people like to pretend that it's for the masses because most black people are poor. Most black people are most, uh, you know, LGBT people are beneath the poverty line or whatever it is. They say most, you know, trans people are more likely to be killed. It's like, yeah, but the black trans uh, people call whatever. Those are not the people who are getting $100,000 a year jobs at NGOs funded by the Gates Foundation or whatever. You know, yeah. I mean, a, a, tra- a trans chick working in uh, Kmart in Florida does not have much in common with the way in which these issues get spoken about in these kind of elite sensitivity training programs any more than a guy who gets killed by the police because he's got a fake $20 bill in his pocket has any relationship to language about white lives don't matter as white lives it's you know george floyd wouldn't be saying <laughs> saying that right yeah right. i mean the, the, like the people who have spoken for say, uh, nobody wants to say it but like george floyd has more in common with me than he does barack obama i could talk to george floyd a lot easier than barack obama could yeah. you know because i had like family like i you know grew up not a lot of money i've like half my family are like drug addicts you know and the other half are like baptist church ladies which is like yeah. how every other black person in this country you, is, you also wouldn't you know? have told him to stop like giving his kids fried chicken for breakfast which is what exactly. I'm <laughs> right <laughs> like michelle um what, what i think fascinating is the um uh do you do you all remember the sort of um like baby mozart 
trend where uh, if you were to be a good, uh, David's laughing, if you were to be a good parent, you had to be playing uh, classical music to your in utero infant. Um, and that was the way you you would ensure you were setting them up for success as a good parent. And this is what I loved so much about River's article was that like, what are all those bizarre children's books um, about anti-racist babies and things like that? <laughs> Except really it's the new version. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. Well, well you <laughs> should uh, give us the highlight reel. But I mean, it's it's the same idea, right? It's it's you're not. Well, I mean, who knows? Who knows what's happening sort of psychologically at the surface? But like. You don't read anti-racist baby to your to your infant with the expectation you'll make them a better person. You're actually trying to set them up for success um, because they will be conversant, you know, natively conversant with this this language. Right. I think you know it's funny. Um, we have we got a um, a number of these as gifts, and I wasn't sure if they were serious gifts or not. Um, they were from sort of family friends who don't necessarily know that they're like, oh, we, you guys are liberal, right? You know, and that's, you know, that was. That, I, I only said so, three of them, David. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, they say to me, like, you guys are liberal, right? Well, I'm like, well, I mean, no, not, not the way you think, not, not, not I, I'm not really not in alignment that you understand. But um, we, we got Woke Baby, which kind of has a sort of beat. Uh, sort of like, sort of like jazzy feel. It's like woke baby. It's you could snap to it, and that's actually kind of good. It says, you know, raising your fists up into the sky. No one can take you from what you have. You know, something like that. And it's you know, it's it, it's quite charming in in its own sort of way. Um, then there's anti racist baby. Anti racist baby is a night. It's a nightmare. It's a total total shizzo. It's like got uh, these grotesque flat drawings you know like in a sort of a hr ad for you know accenture or something like that and it's um got it's essentially just like lecturing to your kid um and making them feel guilty like from the they're like it's like you must notice race and i you know well is, I don't it, know. is it making them feel guilty or is it, is it inculcating them into into being able to speak the actually that, i mean Actually, I think right it allows them to transcend guilt, them. and I think that's I think it actually provides them. You know, it's the it's the vaccine for white guilt in a way. Is and I and I think a lot of this is a vaccine for white guilt. It's like yeah, you could still do the bad things, and it's still you could still get infected by white supremacy, I suppose. But if you have the right wording, and you say that you know the magic words, and you know you got your two shots, you carry your card around, uh, you know your kids are going to be fine. And you know I, that's and, what and I like think COVID, it, is. it was also created by the <laughs> Seriously, you do not want to miss part two of our party with the Twinks. Get over to patreon.com forward slash the popular pod where you'll also have access to our complete archive of subscribers only bonus episodes. Christmas time again. Yes, it is.